God's grace in a dark world. I'm reading from 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 10. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. When Paul made that statement, he knew that what he had become through God's grace was God's doing, not his doing. He also said it was not him doing the work of God, but that was the grace of Jesus working with him. That grace was God's activity working upon his soul, which empowered him to respond to God in love and in the surrender of his will and to know that Jesus was working through him every moment, every moment of his life. As he put his mind upon that, that became his faith. He was finding the grace of God. And he was able to say, I am what I am by the grace of God and I do what I do by the grace of God. So what did Paul think he was before the grace of God took over his life? Well, he thought he was a top-class man of God. He was convinced. He had a pedigree. In Philippians chapter 3 and verse 4, he says, If anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, which is the natural humanity, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of the Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. He goes on to say in another place in Galatians chapter 1 and verse 14, And I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people. So extremely zealous was I for the traditions of my fathers, but he who had set me apart before I was born and who called me by his grace was pleased to reveal his son in me in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles. And before Paul found grace, he was part of the disorder and the violence of a treacherous world in a dark time in history. After he found his grace, he became part of God's answer of love and light that overcame the darkness of that world. Jesus had overcome the darkness through his death and resurrection. And then he sent forth messengers of his grace. Paul was one of them. And God's doing the same thing today through you and me and anybody who will come into God's grace by their faith. And we might be inclined to think that Paul's existence was of such significance and importance for what God called him to do, that the activity of grace upon Paul was far greater than anything that it could be upon us. We couldn't compare. We could be inclined to think that. But we'd be wrong. We'd be wrong to think that. Paul wrote to Titus about grace coming upon all of us. Titus 2.11, the grace of God that brings salvation has shone upon all mankind. And that shining is of the same intensity. It's a matter of how is it received and what is it to be engaged in in a person's activity. 
That will vary. But it's the grace of God. He doesn't diminish himself. He's the same. Yesterday, today, and forever. So grace is the loving activity of God upon a human soul. And when we know that, we can access this grace through our faith. We realise then that it's sufficient for each one of us to do what God has called us to do. Like Paul, we are what we are by the grace of God. And we do what we do by the grace of God. It's grace that brings us home. And God's grace for Paul was waiting for him before he was born. Like with each one of us, from before we were born. And he writes about this eternal aspect of grace in the Bible. In Galatians chapter 1 verse 15 he says, But he who had set me apart before I was born and who called me by his grace was pleased to reveal his son in me in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles. You also find grace in the eyes of the Lord to live the life of truth and love that you were created to live in even before you were born. And this new life involves allowing Jesus to be the number one player in a team called you. He sets us up for that, says, find the grace, I'm here. Paul had seen himself as a religious man of great competence and great commitment to the cause of his Jewish tradition. He served God through his own strategy and ambition, and he took great pride in his own achievements. His competitive and committed human nature had created a power base that drove him into religious success in his own eyes and in the eyes of other jealous Jews. And that was Paul's previous, I am what I am. It was his spiritual identity. But Paul's religion didn't put God's love or mercy in his heart or a humble and surrendered will towards God in his soul or a oneness with Jesus in the Spirit. He had to find that grace in the eyes of the Lord Jesus on his road to Damascus. There are multitudes of people who are committed to the cause of doing things for God that have a similar zeal and passion for success like Paul did. And they might be living out of a misplaced spiritual identity like the Saul who had to become the poor. They have yet to find the grace of God for whatever God has planned for them. We need to just accept that as a reality, not be critical about it, but be aware that there is something for us to receive freely from God, to give us the freedom to be that person. Now, that misplaced spiritual identity is working in the religious fervour in a multitude of ideologies in the world today with a superabundance of commitment of self-proclaimed noble causes and virtues 
that have nothing to do with a commitment to a loving relationship with the living God. The religious fervour of these ideologies has found a place in the power bases of society. The religious fervour of these ideologies can be found in sport and in the corporate world, in politics and in the media and in education of young children and university students. These power bases are capable of punishing through fear and intimidation any citizen who does not acknowledge the virtues of those ideologies. The ideologies revolve around intense perceptions of issues that have become extreme causes such as gender identity, climate theory, racial differences, Marxist philosophy and economics and other inflated issues. For example, extreme climate ideologists predict doom for the planet in a few years if all nations do not pay their dues or offer the sacrifices required for all of us to survive. And an entire generation of young people has an unhealthy fear that the world will end if we do not all comply. And fear is a powerful motivation. There are unhealthy fears. And there are also healthy fears regarding obvious dangers that we need to be aware of and be warned about. And God also uses fear to motivate people to change their ways. And it has its place in bringing lawless and ungodly people to their knees. But fear is not God's first preference as a motivation. Even though the church has been using it throughout the centuries to get people to go to church and obey church tradition, that is not the way God preferred it would be at all. The gospel of grace is God's first preference and that offers people God's love and forgiveness and mercy and a way to live a grace-filled life. That's what he would like preached. That grace can come upon anyone in any one of those ideological power bases that I've mentioned and convert them sovereignly as seen in the life of Paul. That is the Lord's doing and I pray we'll see many such miracles in the days ahead. The world today is beset with more unlove and bitterness and rancour than ever before. The powers of darkness are hurling chaos and disorder and lawlessness into people's hearts and bringing contention and division into every aspect of our culture. The Bible speaks of times like these regarding the kind of darkness that will exist on the earth in the end times. Nobody knows when the end times will fully come upon us, but the way things are today gives us some indication of what they might be like. We read in Matthew 24 and verse 9, Many will be offended and will betray one another and will hate one another. 
then many false prophets will rise up and deceive many. And because lawlessness will abound, the love of many will grow cold. But he who endures to the end shall be saved. Those things abound now in the days in which we live. And in amongst the violence and corruption, the most ominous aspect of life today is the love of many will grow cold. You can watch it happening in our culture. Jude writes urgently about how ungodly people should fear God's judgment. But he especially urges us to live out of our grace-filled lives as his antidote to these lawless attitudes and behaviours. Not to retaliate in the same way. In Jude chapter 1 verse 14, Dear friends, remember what the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ told you, that in the last times there would come these scoffers whose whole purpose in life is to enjoy themselves in every evil way imaginable. They stir up arguments. They love the evil things of the world. They do not have the Holy Spirit life. But you, dear friends, must build up your lives ever more strongly upon the foundation of our holy faith, learning to pray in the power and strength of the Holy Spirit. Stay always within the boundaries where God's love can reach and bless you. Wait patiently for the eternal life that our Lord Jesus Christ, in his mercy and grace, is going to give you. Try to help those who argue against you. Be merciful to those who doubt. Save some by fear, as if snatching them from the fire. But as for others, help them to find the Lord by being gracious to them. So Satan gave humanity a rule of destruction to live by, a deadly commandment, if you will, it was that you hate one another as I have hated you. Been pretty successful. And we're living in times where there is much fear and hatred. But God's love, which casts out all fear, is on the rise today through the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. He has given us his new commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. That's the antidote against the hatred that is in the world, against that statement that says the love of many shall grow cold, while opposed to that, the grace of God will bring about an abundance of the love of God. Where sin abounds, grace does much more abound. Paul tells us that it was God's love that compelled his heart to serve God and to serve the people he was sent to. He writes, Whatever we do, it is certainly not for our own gain, but because Christ's love compels us. That's in 2 Corinthians 5, verse 14. Paul's soul was bursting with that powerful love and he could hardly contain himself when he said, May your roots go down deep into the soil of God's marvellous love. 
May you be able to feel and understand, as all God's children should, how long, how wide, how deep and how high his love really is. And to experience this love for yourselves, though it's so great that you'll never see the end of it or fully know or understand it. And so at last you'll be filled up with God himself. That's in Ephesians chapter 3, 17 to 19. Paul lived with the intense yearning of God's heart of love for him. And that intense yearning of God's heart is for us as well. That is something that if we can imagine in our hearts, I mean, who do we think we are? But God is saying, I yearn for you. That love is jealous for us, which means that it wants the best for us and doesn't accept any harmful second best. That's what godly jealousy is. I'm going to get everything out of the way that's stopping you from having my best. I'm jealous. I don't want those things taking your heart. I want you to know what I've got for you. That's love. That yearning wants to take everything out of the way so that we can respond to his love. He wants to take everything out of the way that can stop us from spreading that love to others. As the Apostle James writes, what do you think the scripture means when it says that the Holy Spirit, whom God has placed within us, yearns jealously for us, but he gives us more and more grace to stand against all evil desires. So we have a commission, a job of work ahead of us as God's people in the earth today, where grace is abounding. Israel, as God's people in the earth, in their day, conquered the territory of Canaan to possess the wonderful blessings of the promised land. We've been given the territory of the hearts of men and women. We're given that territory to conquer with God's love. The activity of this love upon our hearts, that's God's grace, is beginning to abound and I believe it will continue to much more abound than the evil we see abounding in this dark world as we look forward to the moving of his spirit in the earth. That's a prayer. The Bible says that as we press on to know the Lord, he will come to us like the rain, like the latter and former rain to the earth. That's in Hosea chapter 6 and verse 3. There are two kinds of rain spoken of here. One is a gentler rain, that's the former rain, and the other is a stronger rain, the latter rain. The first rain is the gentle rain of God's loving grace that softens the hearts of men and women. Just as the former rain in the days of Israel, an agricultural community, they would wait for the former rain to soften the earth so that the seed would grow down deep. And that's what God's doing now. There's a former rain happening where people's hearts are becoming softer. That's our territory. So that they can faithfully receive the understanding of God's love. The latter rain... That's the deluge of God's sovereign outpouring of grace upon the earth, which will come in due time. Hopefully, ASAP. <laughs> right. And that's where people of all ages 
will be touched by God and suddenly transformed by his grace. Children, teenagers, we've seen shadows of this in the past where joy breaks out and there's a hunger and a yearning for people to get and to hear the word of God and to be there for one another. Let's keep that as a prayer. Remain constant in prayer and compelled by God's love that we might witness these things. Amen.